Good evening. Thank you for attending. We will continue with our discussion of the Paramatma Sindarbha because it is so exciting and enlightening. We are in a we're still in discussing the seventeenth Anucheda. Vishnu is inclusive, superior to Brahma and Shiva. And um, Bhagavan Narayan is the ultimate end of all knowledge. So there's been a lot covered in this Anucheda. Basically, in this section, this is actually the third subsection of a very long Anucheda, the 17th Anucheda. Jiva Goswami is here kind of wrapping up the first part of the Paramatma Sandarbha. The first part's dealing directly with Paramatma. Actually, he does wrap it up with this Anucheda, and then he, he throws in one additional Anucheda just to push his point a little. Pounding the post. Pounding the post, yes. We'll just go to the commentary wherever he left off. We left off with this thought that the authors of Shastra, other than the Pancharatra, which deals specifically with worship of the Supreme Lord, and is one of the aspects of the scriptural evidence upon which the practice of Vaishnavism is based. Shruti, Smriti, Puranadi, Pancharatra, Vidimvida. These four scriptural presentations uh, are the basis upon which uh, Vaishnavism, Vaishnavism is practiced and as we know, there's four main sampradayas, of which Gaudiya Vaishnavism is one, coming down from Brahma. So we here we look at Shastric presentation, other than the Pancharatra. That Shastra can be looked at according to the adhikari or the qualification of the writer. So the first group, those who know reality only in part and those who know it fully. So makes sense. Uh, the first group, those that only know it in part, uh, writes according to their own realizations. And that, too, is a description of the ultimate reality, albeit only in part. We can only offer what we have experienced or what we, what we have experience of up to that point. Over that point, we can only write, I would say, authoritatively. We can, of course, write in other ways, but if we're, if we're going to present something we can write up to our qualification authoritatively. And beyond that, uh, we can parrot what knowledge we may have from others. We may reference their knowledge. An author would certainly give due credit where credit is due and not be a plagiarist <laughs> of another Vaishnav <laughs> under normal circumstance. The second group writes to bring people to the Pancharatra path. Seeing that following the Vedas is cumbersome, 
and that the paths propagated by the first group are imperfect, being related to Rajas and Thomas. In other words, the first group doesn't have a firm, a firm grounding. So this commentary goes on, and I, I thought I'd share it. Sometimes competition is needed in order to realize an object's worth. Bhagavan Ram's prowess was known because of Ravana. Without Ravana, Sri Ram would have been, would have lived an ordinary life, and people might might not have appreciated his greatness. There would be no, I mean, what's the Ramayan without Ravana? I mean, he's a major player in the whole, the whole uh, leela. So, it is for this reason that many types of literature are written. Some of their aims may be to keep the Asuric people busy with some sort of discipline and practice so that they do not cause too much of a disturbance in society. As it is said, an idle mind is the devil's workshop, and the idle mind of a devil would be a devil's factory. The other purpose is to provide those whose nature is primarily sattvic with a suitable context in which they might consider contradictory points of view presented in the form of opposing opponent's position, of an opponent's position, purvapaksa. There has to be some objection. It's part of reaching a conclusion. So there's the there's those five things, but one of them is purvapaksa. Somebody offers an objection. Well, what about? By refuting such oppositional views, they come to understand the Pancharatra theory more decisively. Sorry, that's theology, more decisively. So this term Pancharatra, we can see, is used in two manners. It, sometimes it refers specifically to those texts that outline the Vaishnava practices, and sometimes it refers to the whole the whole approach to worship of the Supreme uh, that the Gaudiya Vaishnavas uh, adhere to, the tradition. So it can also it can be referred to in in either way the word is used. So the Ras, Rajasic and Thomasic inclination persists even in those who are principally of divine nature. Up to what? Certainly, the devotees, even devotees, they they still have tendencies up to the stage of of bhava, when all of Nartha Nivriti has has fallen away. Nistas come, they're steady, and then they've developed some taste. So prior to that, there's still some tendency there. These inclinations need to be uprooted to intensify one's faith and fixity in Vishnu. Thus, the third category of literature aids in this respect by functioning as a counterpart, Purvapaksa. In other words, the faith is increased by engaging in vigorous, healthy, argumentative dialogue. Faith becomes stronger because of that. Just like we see, even ourselves, we see we enter into a dialogue regarding the fall of the jiva. You look at all the dialogues that uh, 
swamis enter into in response to articles and you know whether it be this the swarup of uh, you know the, the constitutional position of Prabhupada or follow the jiva or the you know the nature of guru these are quite healthy and quite spirited uh, you know argumentative dialogue and uh, it's for the benefit of uh, those that participate in any way even if we're just observing from the sidelines cheering for our side <laughs> we become somewhat more enlightened uh, even from that vantage point the subject of the Pancharatra is Vishnu therefore according to Mahabharata one should follow the Pancharatra system see Jiva is using this as an argument to inspire people to study the Bhagavatam which describes Bhagavan in such an unprecedented manner that even Atmaramas like Sukadeva are captivated to study it. So this this point regarding the revelation of, of Sukadeva really is, well, it's the basis, first of all. It's, it's the whole basis of what? Of our tradition. Our tradition is not a tradition of just it's a tradition of revelation, if you look at it. And that's what we're striving for, is spiritual revelation. Now, this has been established by Jiva Goswami from the very beginning, that the revelation of the Bhagavatam is the most significant in our spiritual pursuit, first because Vyasudeva, who compiled this huge, huge amount of spiritual thought and presented it for the benefit of mankind? He he wrote down all the Vedas. He, you know, he he represented all the Puranas and he presented the Mahabharat for those people that were more interested in a you know, in a in a general presentation of a, of a in a huge opus of of story. So. He went to all that, and after all that, he was discontent. There had to be more. There was more. He was given some indication by a sadhu, in this instance his guru, to uh, think deeply on it, and I'm sure the answer will come. So he thought deeply, and he entered samadhi, and yes, he he had a revelation. So that's what is the basis of... Gaudiya Vaishnavism is revelation. And the revelation that he brought out in the Bhagavatam was re, re-spoken by his very son, Sukadeva Goswami. Again, what happened? He, who was already completely detached from material existence, he had also an epiphany from a few verses of the Bhagavatam. And that inspired him to study it more completely, but he was already in Atmarama. Atmarama's Chamunayo. He was he was he was completely self satisfied. So we think about that. Now what and we think of that and if we think about that in the context of our own personal spiritual practice it, it does us good to contemplate 
the significance of revelation in our practice. Now, in the beginning, we may not have any revelation. We, we may not even be on, an, on, a, on a position like a Sukadev of even being self-satisfied. We may be completely immersed in, in, in the modes of nature. So how does the practice of Gaudiya Vaishnavism proceed for us? Um, you know, as Rupa Goswami's outlined, Adao Shraddha, Tata Sadhu, Sangotha. So there's different stages. But if we look to the revelation in the beginning, what, what nourishes our spiritual growth? Revelation. But it's not our revelation. We're taking the revelation that's been presented in the Bhagavat Purana and we're reading about all these revelations, one after another. This person saw Krishna, this person went out to the woods at five years old and wanted a big kingdom and all of a sudden God appeared before him. Or this person was, you know, out having a party with a prostitute repeatedly went through all kinds of tribulations and the prostitute said, man, you should get your act together if you only as aspired for spiritual advancement as much as you aspire to be with me, a bag of flesh and bones, you'd be in good shape. And the guy, yeah. And he, and he had it a revelation, I should do that. And then he also, this led him to his spiritual um, spiritual maturity. So again and again, the Bhagavat Purana, the shining Purana is one revelation after another. And these revelations nourish our faith and nourish us to, to push on further. And what are we pushing towards? Well, we're pushing towards that day that we ourselves have a revelation. Now the revelation for the Vaishnav, it who's who's the normal course of advancement. Uh, there's always exceptions. There's always that Krishna can do whatever he wants, but the normal course is a gradual advancement, and that gradual advancement and and the leaving uh, the modes of, of passion and ignorance letting all the anarthas of material existence gradually dissolve as one advances to the mode of goodness and advances in devotional practice, then what? Steadiness, and after steadiness, the revelation really starts there, does it not? There's some taste. And the taste isn't for anything we've had before. We actually appreciate some relish in the material and mental aspect of devotional practice. And from that little bit of relish, then we're pushed on. And that really, once we come to that platform, then that's, that's a very glorious to reach that platform of steadiness and then from steadiness to, have, to develop the taste. And from the taste, the attraction, from the attraction, then some real mellow, some bhava, some, um, some true position in spiritual life begins. But it's a gradual, ever-increasing revelation for the practitioner. 
that we would hope one day we would actually ourselves be able to see Krishna, that he'd fly down to us on his Garuda carrier, or he would, you know, we'd be born in, in into a Leela. Uh, so it's really about spiritual revelation and the revelations. If we look, what what is it about the scripture that's presented to us that's unique because you can't put this revelation in words you can't really describe the revelation but you can describe it as far as words will allow and what we see is this sadhu he had this revelation or she had this revelation and it corresponded oh krishna has a dark complexion in his original form uh, Krishna's face looks like, well, every aspect of his face looks like a moon. His lips look like a moon. His, his cheeks, his forehead, and his whole face together looks like the big, and it's, every, and it's, there's some continuity be, between all these different experiences of the form of the Supreme Lord. And even when that experience of his majesty, of his form, is made available somehow or other by some good fortune, um, even if the form is a little different due to the desire and the heart that and the and the the impressions that a devotee has received regarding it still the overall characteristics and character of the supreme lord remain the same whether he be you know in his form as ram or his form as uh, balaram or his form as as of Krishna himself, or Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the overall characteristics, uh, they remain consistent to some extent. So this is, this is really our practice, is this, this revelation. We, we're, we're dealing with that as our primary objective. And if we, if we can remind ourselves of that, we're not here to do rituals. We're not here to you know, become great spiritual scholars. We're here to experience God firsthand. That's that's what we want to do. At a certain point, we don't care about all that. The Uttama Adhikari has, you know, he's content. He sees himself as, I'm the most fallen. He doesn't even, he's not even in the preaching field anymore. He has to come down to the Mudjim platform just to, just to share what little knowledge he has of the revelation. But once he's had his experience, you know, and those are the individuals that we're, that, that Shastra suggests that we take shelter of, people that have actually come to the topmost platform. Other devotees can help. Even Rupa Goswami, you know, and uh, in his Upadeshamrita, you know, there's help from the Kanista, there's help from the Majjam, the Uttama, but uh, you want to you wanna 
contact that person that's actually had the full revelation. If you can stay in their association, then your, you know, your path is more clear. The others can help, but not in the ultimate issue. It only take you so far. They can take you as far as they have revelation, and that's kind of what we touched upon. So this next and last subsection of the 17th Anucheta, Sad Shiva is not supreme. So Shiva is not supreme. And Jiva, of course, is, is dealing with at a time where, and probably if you were in Indian culture, that time still exists when the worship of Shiva and the divinity of Shiva is sometimes equated with the divinity of, of Vishnu. So his Anacheda begins, according to the above verses, the contention that Sad Shiva is the supreme controller and that Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva are his expansions is also refuted. It should also be understood that because of the above reasons that Sad Shiva is not supreme, the Shiva Agama assigns appellations such as Sad Shiva, etc., to Bhagavan and the Purusha only for the purpose of glorifying Sad Shiva. But in the Srimad Bhagavatam, the crest jewel of all scriptures, there is an inquiry into the gradation of the members of the Trinity of God, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, but no mention at all of any such gradation between Bhagavan and the Purusha. It goes on, in this context, it may be noted that the following statement in the third canto also indicates that Shiva is non-different from Parameshwar due to being a Guna avatar. Even Brahma and the other gods respect the bounds set by Lord Shiva. He is the cause of this universe, and Maya in his, is his maidservant, and yet he behaves like a uh, a fiend, Picasa. Strange indeed are the activities of the Almighty Lord. And that's from the third canto. Question. Is not Shiva stated to be supreme in the following verse from the eighth canto? O Garitra, protector of the mountains, Shiva, your supreme effulgence, cannot be understood even by all the protectors of the planet by Brahma, by Vishnu, or by Indra, the ruler of the god. This effulgence is the supreme absolute, Brahman, utterly devoid of all distinction, in which Rajas, Thomas, and Sattva are eternally absent. Jiva goes on. So the question was answered. Even in the Bhagavad, it says Shiva's god. Here's two places. So how do you respond to that? You know, let's let's are we going to accept the even the statements of the Bhagavatam? Do they come into question? Jiva answers, No, this is not the implication of the above verse. There is a Vedic principle. God gods excel in power when they are praised through glorious words. Thus such a conclusion that Shiva is supreme is improper. This prayer was uttered simply to induce Shiva to drink the deadly poison, the ocean of the poison that came out of the churning of the ocean. In the same section, the very same section, Shiva says, 
When Bhagavad Hari is pleased, then I and all the moving and non-moving beings are pleased. So Shiva doesn't look at himself as supreme, so he would definitely know if he was. He, and if he knows that if he is, there isn't and there's somebody superior to him and he makes a statement to that effect, that would be the more authoritative evidence that should be uh, understood. Furthermore, Shiva goes on, and he quotes from the ninth canto. Shiva tells Durvas, We, gods, have no power, dear son, over the all-pervading supreme, in whom other universes, too, too similar to this, and which are the amalgamated bodies of the jivas and Brahma, appear and disappear in thousands at the appointed time. We wander in these universes. That's from the ninth canto. And Shiva again says, Remaining under the control of that supreme person, we are like birds controlled by a string. That's from the fifth canto. So, it is not the case that Shiva is supreme, as might be inferred from the earlier verse of the Bhagavatam. H731 above, because such a conclusion is contradicted by the above statements of Shiva. Alternate, alternatively, the meaning of that verse can be taken as follows. It is indeed fitting that even he, Vishnu, is unable to know completely the conscious being called Paramatma, situated within the effulgence of Shiva. As the Shruti said to Bhagavan, and now he quotes from the 10th canto, Prayers of the Personified Vedas, Because you are without end or limit, the cosmic administrators, such as Brahma, simply cannot find any limit to you. Moreover, moreover even you cannot do so. Under the influence of time, the countless universes, each enveloped in its own 17 layered covering float contemporaneously within you like particles of dust in the sky. So even the par Paramatma can't reach a limit, a full understanding of his own powers and potencies is what's being stated here. As soon as he would be would contemplate how powerful he was, he would, it would have expanded unlimitedly. So it is indeed fitting that even he, Vishnu, is unable to know completely the conscious being called Paramatma. On the other hand, according to Brahma Samhita, Sad Shiva is nothing other than a special integrated part of Bhagavan. There, while describing Govinda as the original source, or the uncaused cause of everything it is said. Ram Devi, who is under Bhagavan's intrinsic guidance, is he is he beloved and remains submissive to his will. The effulgence eternal Bhagavan, Sambhu, is the causal agent, lingo, linga of that primeval Bhagavan, that which is 
genetrics yoni of the transcendental shakti. We, we went over this a little bit earlier, this whole idea of the, the manifestation of the material cosmos being caused, the causal desire of that being the the potentiality of that, I believe, was the word. Mm -hmm. The potentiality of a material creation can be referred to as linga. And that aspect of the Supreme is manifest when it contacts material energy, not the glance. The glancing is not the contact. The glancing is is the uh, more of the the potentiality is made available. But when the Supreme actually comes in contact, then that's the, the Shiva aspect of the Supreme Lord. The sequence ends with Mahavishnu appeared within that causal agency, Linga, Brahma Samhita 5.10. With this intention of showing the supremacy of Vishnu while objecting to the widespread view that he is a form of Sad Shiva or any other Deva, the Sutta said, Moreover, the water that was offered by the Creator, Brahma, to wash the feet of Bhagavan and then flowed from the nails of his toes sanctifies the whole universe, including Lord Shiva. Who else then but Bhagavan Sri Krishna is worthy of the appellation Bhagavan in this word, world? The meaning of the above verse is self-evident. So the whole way of trying to give us a entrance into some kind of understanding of that which is truly a chinta. It's, it's beyond comprehensive comprehension in, a, in the materialistic mindset that we generally have. Again, we're, it's revelation. How up to what point can it be explained in a way that it can be comprehended? Now, what does happen for the devotee is his discrimination becomes finer and finer. And that revelation, how's that revelation first manifest? It's first truly manifest as Shastra Yukti. That all of a sudden we start thinking Shatra, Shastra Chakshush. We look at everything through the eyes of Scripture. That begin, that's the beginning of the revelation. How does that revelation end? We see Krishna everywhere. But in the beginning, we see everything in relationship to the revelations that, that the sadhus have had and are sharing with us through Scripture. So, you know, we come to these terms and linga. And, well, how do we understand that God doesn't touch his creation? He never comes in contact with maya. How, how is that possible? Well, it is possible, and this is how it's possible. This is the Vi media. This, this manifestation of the Lord, which is not a jivatma, but it's also not God. It's that intermediary personality that through which the Lord 
effectuates in a direct way the material cosmos. The other effectuation is in an indirect way. So he becomes, Shiva becomes that conduit for that energy, that Shakti of the Lord in contact with the material energy. So naturally, that he has a huge following because he is in re, he is a god amongst men shiva he's a true god amongst men but and he's amongst the men he's the, he's he has contact with the material counterpart so the, these are the how are we to understand, you know, God is, here's somebody that's God, but not God, and not one of us. It's, it's a, a deep theological um, understanding that has to be had in relationship to Shiva. But ultimately here, in the context of this presentation, we have to be able to distinguish between the Supreme and the Shiva manifestation within the, and the Shiva manifestation is not totally the Supreme Lord. But from our vantage point, we'd have a hard time distinguishing them, you know, without proper guidance. Just as Gopa Kumar, when he was entering into the Vaikutsa atmosphere, and the narration plays out a scenario where he's watching all these different Vaikutsa residents entering and leaving there. He hasn't yet been given uh, permission to enter himself. And he th every time he sees one, when the first one he saw, this is God, this is Vishnu. He offers his obeisances. He was, you know, just looked at like, what? I'm not God. You know, how don't you lack proper knowledge and discrimination? And he didn't at that point. He didn't have, he had not been, he had not been instructed. That knowledge had not been given to him. So he couldn't discriminate. So that's that's part of the revelation of the of the sadika. The sadika, his revelation begins through the eyes of scripture. What are what scripture? Scripture is the revelations of the sadhus, the purva acharyas, people that have come before. You have them to rely on. That's one of the one of the three avenues. We don't rely on every any one specifically. We take a well-rounded and grounded approach. Guru, sadhu, shastra. When these three are in harmony, we know that our conclusion, the vision we have, is appropriate. If we are one, if we're not uh, open enough to see all three in, the, in a proper context, which means everything, 
and and with a view to harmonize those, then our vision is not going to be clear. And we see that happens. And devotees argue, well, my guru said, he's absolute. How can you question him? He's a resident of, he's a Manjari and a, there's nothing he would, you know, or, you know, one of my god brothers who's, who's a sannyasi and, and a guru, he's, he says, Prabhupada would never say anything that wasn't the absolute truth. You sure about that? Really? I mean, okay, what, uh, you know, let's talk about the contradictions from this letter and that room conversation this morning walk. He would never? And if he would never, and if he's the absolute, if he is the vessel of absolute truth, the guru, then why does he recommend to his disciples you reconcile seeing everything guru, sadhu, shastra? You don't take one as absolute. You take the harmonizing of all of them. And that's how you develop your own spiritual vision until the point where you have spiritual revelation. And then you try to explain it. Go ahead. We I'll, And you'll be given that opportunity if, that's, if you so desire. And it, it's a hard, you're going to find out how difficult expla the explaining of revelation can be. So difficult that you finally realize I'm not even writing these books <laughs> because I can't, I couldn't come up with this explanation that's being given to me. But it corresponds to my revelation. And my revelation is if you're completely and totally sold out to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, He will guide your mind, He will guide your pen, He will guide everything you say. And you will be able to convey to some extent the revelation that you've had. So, any questions? All right. Thank you very much. Sure.